Good morning, everyone. Um, as as uh, Natalie said, my name's Paul. Um, my privilege I'll be speaking um, this morning. Um, if you have got your Bibles, why don't you turn to um, Ephesians chapter 1. Just give it a few moments while the offering is being f- finished off. It's a real privilege to uh, be able to look at such a magnificent letter in the Bible. Um, probably one of the most magnificent letters in the whole of, um, whole of Scripture, and uh, I must admit I thoroughly enjoyed uh, starting to unpack the first six verses of it um, last week as we, uh, we, we, we just started to get into it, and so I'm very much looking forward to um, this morning as well. Why don't I, um, why don't I just pray, and, uh, and then we're going to dive in and see where we go from there. I must admit, the thought of me preaching isn't that bad, is it? (laughs) Father, we thank you for your incredible grace to us. I thank you, Lord God, that you have given us new birth into a living hope. Lord, I thank you for the immense privileges and riches that we enjoy as Christians. Father, I ask as we unpack this just a little bit more, I pray, would you anoint me and fill me with your Holy Spirit afresh. But I pray, Lord, would you soften our hearts, open our minds that we might see anew, that we might wonder anew, that we might understand with the best faculties of our mind this glorious salvation that we've got and, and that it might warm our hearts and, and, and affect our emotions and our affections that we might fall more in love with you, that we might freshly wonder at this incredible grace that has come down to us. Oh God, would you work deeply and powerfully in our hearts and lives, I pray. Amen. So last week we looked briefly um, at the introduction to the letter, which was the first two verses of chapter 1. And I picked out particularly that word saint. I said that we we are saints. We are holy ones. We are those that have been set apart, not on the basis of our good works, not on the basis of our good looks, not on the basis of our intelligence or, or how hard we have worked for God, but we are saints because we are in Christ Jesus. And that's an immense privilege. That's who we are. It is our position. It is our standing point. It's not something I'm trying to work myself towards. It's who I already am. I am a saint. I, I don't need to be on a stained glass window. I don't need the Pope to say so. Jesus Christ has made me one, therefore I am a saint. 
And for me to live the Christian life, I need to know who I am. I need to understand what God has done for me, because if I don't understand who I am and what God's done for me, I will never live as God has intended me to, because I just won't know. So we are saints. And that's right. Did you notice first two verses? He just wants to nail it at the very beginning. He doesn't just roll in there with the old, you know, that group of people called the church that meet at Ephesus. That ragbag bunch of all different sorts and types. No, the saints. The saints. How, how incredible. So we just briefly, briefly touched on that. And then in verse 3, we look really at the sort of the heart of these first 14 verses. Where Paul says, and he makes this incredible, if I go as far as to say outrageous claim, that is true for every single one of you. If you are a Christian, if you're following Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Saviour, then this claim is true for you. It should blow your socks off, okay, as I'm reading it. It is such an amazing claim, but it is true for you, not dependent on whether you feel like it. Not dependent on whether you got out the right side of the bed or not this morning. It is just true for you because you're a saint. Because you are found in him. And this is this claim. This is what Paul says. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every single one. So it isn't for some of you, you've got most of them, and then for others of you, you've got a few less because you're not as deserving. Paul's nailing it right at the very start of this letter. He hasn't even, he's not even touching yet on how we're to live. He's, he's not talking about our performance or what we're to give ourselves to. He's just saying, look, if you are in Christ, you have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It is yours. It is your inheritance. It is, is based around your position. And it's so important that we know these things. Most of the problems we face in the Christian life is because we don't know who we are and what Jesus has done for us. We just get off on the wrong foot. And it's so important. And so really what I did last week and what I'm doing this week is I'm just going through every spiritual blessing listed out in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. I want to lay them out for you that for some of you it's a reminder For others of you, you're going to hear it for the first time, but I pray in whichever camp you're in, you grasp something new. And it causes you, like it did the Apostle Paul, to worship, to bless God, to give him your best. Because if you're a Christian, you can't help but hear these things and then overflow in praise and worship. It's just natural. It's what happens. It's like when you turn a tap on, water should come out. When you hear the wonderful things that God has done for you, what comes? Praise, worship and adoration come out of your heart. Because it's connecting with something on the inside. If it doesn't, the thing you need to do is to look to see if you have been born again. Because there's a connection. When you start to grasp the love of God, it connects with something on the inside causing you to praise and love Jesus. So last week we then went on and we looked at what has the Father done for us? What has the Father done for us? And this week we're going to be looking at what the Son has done for us and what the Holy Spirit has done for us. Because basically, those 14 verses are split into those three sections. I tell you, it's absolutely wonderful. Just to remind you what the Father has done for you. Every spiritual blessing. What has the Father done in this? Well, 
To start with, it starts with him. You are a Christian because he chose you to become one. You may think at one point you put your hand up in a meeting, and you did. But you were responding to his irresistible grace that was already at work in your heart and your life. You are not here as a mistake. You're not a Christian by the back door. You went in straight through the front door and the father was expecting you. The father wanted you and the father chose you. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. That is a declaration over you, even if you don't get everything right, which none of us do. You are holy and you are blameless in his sight and he predestined you for adoption. So you sit here this morning, not as servants, not as second-class citizens before God. You sit here as sons and daughters before the living God. He has made that legal promise to you. He has made that. That is your status. That is your position before him, every single one. You may have, a, have just a look at the dodgy lot of people around you. Just have a quick look around. Just have a quick look. Don't look at me. Just look around at the different faces. Sons and daughters of the living God. You were pre-chosen before the foundation of the world that that's who you might be. And you may wonder and think, wow. You may wonder and think, wow, how on, all, how on earth has all of this been made possible? Well, let me read Ephesians chapter 1 and we will then unpack it. We'll just pick it up in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed every single one of you in Hastings, who knows Jesus as his Lord and Saviour, in Christ Jesus, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things in accordance with the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, the ESV's got it wrong there, it should be, and having believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What I want to do this morning is give you a whistle-stop tour of verses 7 through to 14. We're going to start by looking at what the Son has done, and then we're going to be looking at what the Holy Spirit has done. Wow. So, verses 7 and 8. What has Jesus done? The first thing I want you to notice here are the first two words in verse 7, which are, In Him. Every spiritual blessing that we have, every spiritual blessing that we enjoy, is because we are found in Jesus Christ. 
It's because we have been hidden in him. It wasn't as though God just merely changed his mind at some point in history. At one point, there was no hope for us. Now there is. He's changed his mind. That is not how it happened. Jesus made a way that we could be forgiven. And without Christ, there is no salvation. This is so, so important. We don't have a single blessing that hasn't been received from Christ and in him. We are in Christ and it's our union with him that brings us life. We are sharers in the life of the Son of God. You are a Christian because of what the Son of God accomplished for you. To be saved is to be in Christ. It's to be hidden in him. It's not simply just to believe his teaching. It's to be hidden in Christ. To be a sharer of his life, to be a sharer of his death, to be a sharer, a sharer of his burial, to be a sharer of his resurrection and his ascension. You have been included in him. When you were born again and the Holy Spirit entered you, You were joined, you were grafted into Jesus Christ. This is so important to know. There's this mystical union that has taken place. It's like you are one page in this Bible. There's probably a thousand pages. You are one page. Wherever I take this Bible, whatever happens to this Bible also happens to the page that is within it. It is the same with you and Christ. You are in him. You have been included in him. God didn't just change his mind, he made a way. On Friday, I'm going to India. I'm going to go up to Heathrow, and I'm going to go to the departure lounge. And there will be some sort of aeroplane, I hope, that will be sat on the tarmac. If I want to get to India, I have to get onto the plane. I have to be in the plane to go to India. I can look at the plane, I can watch other people getting on the plane, I can even look at the big notice board saying that that plane is going to Mumbai in India, but if I am not included and hidden within the plane, if I am not sat within it, I am not going to India. And for us, it isn't just a matter of believing believing something, it's that we need to be included in Christ. We have been grafted into him. His life flows within me. I am part of him. When Jesus died on the cross, I was in him. My old life died. It is finished. It is over. It's a real death. I was buried. When I was raised to new life, the work, the same power that raised uh, Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is at work within me. I was raised to new life. I was born again. That is my hope. I now live a life as a Christian, grafted, joined into Jesus Christ. Another spiritual blessing in him. In him. It is an immense, immense privilege. You cannot make yourself a Christian. You cannot make yourself a Christian. You need to be hidden in Christ. Good works will not do it. Saying the right things, do not do it. Attending the right meetings, do not do it. Even putting your hands in the air, do not do it. You need to be found in Christ. He is our salvation. Jesus didn't just come to tell us what to do. He came in order to make a way for us. 
he came to save us. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is a word that's linked, was linked to the slave trade. So you would redeem, you would buy someone out of slavery. So in Christ, we have been bought, we have been purchased out of slavery to sin and Satan. That's what happened. When you came to know Jesus, you were purchased, you were bought out of slavery. You couldn't do it yourself. You couldn't do it yourself. You did not have the ransom price to buy yourself out of slavery. You may class yourself as quite a good person. You may class yourself as an atrocious, awful person. You were still born in slavery to sin and you needed a redeemer. You needed someone to save you. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to redeem you. How did he do it? By his precious blood. The purchase price for my redemption was the blood of Christ. Through the payment of Christ's blood spilt on the cross, I have been bought out of slavery and rescued from its grasp. This is a once and forever action. I am dead to my old master. I am now alive to God. How did it happen? Jesus came. Jesus isn't just pointing the way. He's not, a, he's not a signpost saying, God, this way. As though we could get there on our own. It doesn't matter. You cannot wipe away your sin. You cannot wipe away the guilt of your sin by trying to do good works. You will never be able to pay off the debt. You just cannot do it. Just, just imagine every Every time you do something wrong, every time you sin, it's written down and a price is put against it. Page after page after page after page, racking up debt after debt after debt after debt. We were enslaved in it. And however hard we worked, we could never free ourselves. We needed a redeemer. We needed someone to pay the price on our behalf that we might go free. That's why Jesus came. And in Christ on the cross, he took all of my debt, every single page of it. From the biggest, grossest, worst things I have ever done to even the little things that I wouldn't think were that bad maybe. But still an offence to God. Christ took them all. They were transferred from me. They were given to him. He carried that on the cross. When he was nailed to the cross, he paid the price for my sin and for your sin. He paid the whole lot. Not just what you did do, but what you've done this week and what you will do in the future. My Jesus, my ransomer, my saviour, the one who saves me from my sin. Everything has been placed upon him. God did not just look the other way. How wrong that would be. Would that be right that people could just do things 
And there was no consequences, even within us, an inner justice that tells us, no, that cannot be. There's a consequence to wrong action. He didn't just lift the corner of the carpet, you know, Paul's sin's not too bad, we'll sweep that under. I mean, sands is a bit of a problem, that's going to leave a lump but under the carpet, but, but we're going we're gonna to put it all under there. When God spoke, the world came into be, but he could not speak away your sin. When it talks about, and we're going to look here in a second, that he forgives our sin, he can forgive our sin because Jesus carried it. He forgives our sin because Jesus redeemed us from under it and carried the price for it. That's why. You, you may think, no, no, you may think my sin's not much of a problem. Let me just read you a couple of short passages from Sermon on the Mount to convince you it is. This is what Jesus said, okay? And I, I'm pretty certain that 98% of us are going to fall just on these two. There's only two. I'm only picking two. Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Sin. Broken. You have broken. You have failed to hit the mark. Matthew five forty three to 45. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Just those two. It doesn't tell you to be indifferent to your enemies. And as we're Christians, we generally don't have enemies, do we? It's not very Christian to have an enemy. So just those we don't get on with, okay? We're not meant to be indifferent. We're not meant to ignore. We're not meant to stay out of their way. We're meant to love them and pray for them. We need a saviour. I needed a saviour. I needed one who would take my sin. Jesus Christ did it, and it was his blood His blood shed on a cross that carried my sin. If you want to know how seriously God takes sin, just look at the cross and see what he gave in order to sort out the problem of our sin. There's no doubt in God's mind how serious this is. According to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us. Oh, what a saviour. In Christ Jesus, I have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin. According, not because he looked at some point and said, oh, Paul's a good guy, he's worth it. He's worth saying, but according, according to the riches, the absolute riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. What a saviour. I mean, he isn't just putting, you know, Joe, you can have a little bit of my grace. Just, just, a, just a little bit. 
And Phil, okay, not as much as Joe, but you can have a little bit of my grace. When it comes to you and me, he doesn't treat us with little bits. He treats with all the richness of his grace that he has lavished, absolutely lavished upon us. This is such strong language. Just look at Jesus. If you're wondering if, 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 if the grace of God, if he is lavishing his grace, just look at who he gave for you. It starts with the Father sending his Son. That's what his grace looks like. Free forgiveness, no payment from me whatsoever. Complete reconciliation with God. This is, this is the grace of God lavished upon me. I can have a knowledge and assurance of my salvation. That's the grace of God lavished upon me. I've been adopted as his child. Wow. That's the grace of God lavished upon me. I have the gift of the Holy Spirit and all that intimacy and power that is available through him. Wow. That is the grace of God that's been lavished upon me. All this leading to a sense of joy, peace and love. That's the grace of God lavished on me. A sense of security and safety. And then there's all more to come. An inheritance for us to receive, for us to walk into. That's the riches of his grace that has been lavished on me in Jesus Christ. What a saviour. Every spiritual blessing, one after another after another. How good he is to us. Renewing all things. And the plan doesn't stop at just your or my individual salvation. It's much greater than that. It's to unite all things. Christian living, Christian dead. Church on earth, church in heaven. Even angels as well, uniting all things in him. Some sort of cosmic renewal Everything coming together, harmony back in the universe. That is the riches of his grace that we have been included in. Jesus didn't just point the way, he made the way that we might become children of God. The riches of it. And then we move on to the Holy Spirit's work. And it says this in verses 13 and 14. In him. Again, who's that in? In Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I don't know if you just notice in the start of verse 13, it says, in Christ, having heard the word of, the word of truth, having heard the gospel, you believed in him. Do you see the progression? Each step so important. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
I mean, the Holy Spirit has been at work right the way through these 13, 14 verses. He, he's involved in everything when it comes to salvation. But we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A seal has a number of functions. If you imagine a king sending a letter and he marks it with his seal, it brings authenticity, it brings authority. In other words, it is genuine. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, where you see the Holy Spirit at work within you. It confirms that your salvation is genuine. It's a genuine work of God that is taking place within you. It also is like ownership as well. If you go out into the country, you'll look at sheep or cows. They will, have, they will, they will be marked. There will be a mark of ownership. This one belongs. You have been sealed. It, it, it communicates as the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He marks us out as God's possession. Proof that we belong to God. It's interesting to note that a seal is visible. So if you get a letter that is sent and it is sealed, it's visible, it's on the outside. The Holy Spirit is visible in our lives. He is meant to be visible in our lives. When you read Acts right the way through, story of the early church, when the Holy Spirit turned up, you knew he had turned up. You weren't guessing. If he turned up in Michelle's life, you could tell he turned up in Michelle's life. You would be able to see something of that work, whether it is a, whether it is a joy whether it is a prophesying, whether it is a speaking out in tongues, whether it's an immense generosity being exhibited, whether it's a hunger for prayer or a hunger to meet with God, you could see the work of the Holy Spirit taking place, overflowing, bubbling up. The third person of the Trinity has come and made his home in you. Wow. Throughout the New Testament, you can see and hear the work of the Spirit in people's lives. In fact, the church wouldn't have seen any success without him. Do you know the Holy Spirit? So imagine it's just me and you in the room. I mean, I know it'd be a bit weird, so don't be freaked out by it, but (laughs) I'm just asking you, do you know the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking if you know about him or whether you can turn to some Bible verses. Do you know him? Let Let me use an illustration. When you learn to drive a car, this is not an illustration that's been very well thought through, so you may have to bear with me. (laughs) 
When you learn to drive a car, you're taught in order that you can drive it on your own. Yes? Do, do you know how the inner workings of the combustion engine? Some of you may, some of you may not. Do you know how the brakes or the clutch work? If I told you to strip the gearbox down, could you do it? Many of you couldn't, but you have learned how to drive a car. You were given the theory of it, and then someone sat alongside you and taught you how to change gear and how to look in the mirror and look over your shoulder and look in the mirror again and stall the car. All of those things you, you, you learned, and you practiced, and you gave it a go. Some of us, and I don't, I don't want to decry this, but some of us know how to strip down the gearbox. Some of us know everything about the inner working of the combustion engine. You know, in theory, how to fill it up with fuel. You even know, in theory, how to drive it. But you don't drive the car very often. In actual fact, you can't remember the last time you took the car out for, the spin, for a spin. Church isn't theory. Church is understanding theory and then doing practical. The Holy Spirit has been given as a gift to us. He is a promise. He brings power. He brings security. He brings a mark of ownership to us. We are to live life with him. I think for too many of us, we understand many things about the person of the Holy Spirit. We just don't ever go out with him. We've, we've buttoned it up to one little part of our life, maybe on Sunday mornings, where we get a sense of his work in our hearts, which is great. And I, I, I don't decry that. In actual fact, I say, come more and more hungry. But you, you're afraid of taking the car out. You're afraid to step out in faith and trust the Holy Spirit in your everyday life, whether it's praying for people who are sick, whether it's bringing spiritual gifts, whether it's just relying on the Holy Spirit as you parent your children, whether you're looking for reconciliation in situations and you're asking for his help, knowing him walking alongside. Do you know him? Do you enjoy living life with him? We also see he is a guarantee. He is a down payment on our inheritance. When, when, you, when you make a down payment, the Holy Spirit is a down payment on our inheritance. When you make a down payment, say you're going to buy a car. Not the same illustration as before, completely separate. You're going to buy a car. You put a deposit of 10% down. You put £100 down. That's, that says that I'm going to come back later, I'm going to pay another £900, and I'm going to acquire full possession of this car. The Holy Spirit, he is like a, a down payment on heaven. If you want to know what heaven is like, it's, it's like our relationship with the Holy Spirit. He has been given as a down payment on what more is to come. A life of joy, peace, kindness, love, hope, all the, you know, you look at this, the um, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I said this last week. The Holy Spirit is a promise. He's a down payment, a guarantee on what is to come. 
And the church is a place where the blessings of heaven are on display now on the earth. He's been given to us. One spiritual blessing after another, tumbling out. Tumbling out. And you'll notice, just as we get to the end of verse 14, it says this, to the praise of his glory. The Apostle Paul started this passage in verse 3 by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of each section, he, he sort of bursts back into praise, saying, praise be God. And as we get to the end of these 14 verses again, it all comes back round to, as we've looked at every amazing blessing that we have received from God, it comes back to, wow, oh God, I praise you. Oh, how rich I am because of your works of grace in my life. John Stott says this, to live for the praise of the glory of his grace is to both worship him ourselves by our words and deeds as the gracious God he is and to cause others to see and praise him too. We worship him, but as people look at our lives, they worship him too. That's what it's all about, to the praise of his glorious grace. What I want to do with... We've got, we've got plenty of time. We've got 25 minutes left. We're going we're gonna to worship Jesus Christ. We are going to give him our best. We're going to give him our all. We're going to break bread later. We're going to take that covenant meal, remembering what Jesus has accomplished for us. And we are, I am so expectant that the Holy Spirit, who is here with us now, is going to work powerfully in our hearts and lives as we stand and sing out. One of the the best medicines for the soul is to give our best to him in worship. One of the best ways, with whatever it is you are facing at the moment, and I'm sure there are more challenges in this room than I would care to dream of, but actually the best starting point for whatever they are is to take a big, deep breath of air, of oxygen in your lungs, and not to yawn, But to sing out in praise and worship and adoration to the one who's given so much for us. You cannot do anything better with the next 25 minutes than to glorify him. If I can invite the band up, why don't we stand? I'm going to pray that God will seal this into our hearts. When you shake your arms, shake your legs a little bit, you might need to get the cobwebs out a little bit. Might be a bit, bit chilly in here today, I think. The fact everyone's wearing coats is a bit of a giveaway. Do you, do you know something, actually? Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? You know, I was talking about how, how because of what Jesus has done, our sins can be forgiven and are forgiven. It says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It says in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake 
and I will not remember your sins. God does not remember your sin. When you come to him and ask for forgiveness, he forgets it. We cannot, but he can. And sometimes we run into problems because we keep remembering our sin, whereas he has forgotten it. Andrew Bump brought a word um, to me this morning, like a, like a prophetic word, and he said this. He feels that this morning there will be an unbinding from condemnation. You will be set free from condemnation. Why? Because Jesus has paid for it. There is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. He has forgotten your sin. However grievous it is, however bad it is, But there will also be a binding, bringing security, knowing that the Holy Spirit is a seal guaranteeing all that is to come. Father, I want to pray that as we worship now, as we take bread and wine in a few moments, I ask you for any condemnation that is attacking people's minds and hearts right now to go in Jesus' name. Because you have taken that condemnation. You have carried it in yourself. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will bind people afresh to the Father. That they will know a fresh security and safety that is found in you and you alone. I ask for that. I pray for a, a loosening, a breaking of condemnation that is plaguing lives right now in Jesus' name. Guilt that's been carried for years. Jesus came to pay it all. Every single thing in, in that list, Jesus carried it all that we might be free. And I ask you right now, Father, I pray right now for a freedom and a confidence and faith to rise in your finished work, Lord Jesus Christ. As far as the east is from the west, I have removed your transgressions from you. I have blotted them out. I remember them no more. My son has paid them all. You are free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let's worship and allow the Holy Spirit to work afresh.